Today's episode of the NFL Power Rankings Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get to the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. And welcome back to the Athletics NFL Power Rankings Podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter for The Athletic. And I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor for The Athletic. So week five is in the books. There was less disruption around the rankings this week, but it was still really hard to kind of figure out those middle teams in the league. But I think the most notable thing about week five was how much movement we had at the top. The Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Colts, the Rams lost to the Seahawks, and there's two undefeated teams left. I don't think any of us are surprised about the first one, the New England Patriots. But the other team is, I think, pretty surprising that's undefeated, and that's the San Francisco 49ers. And now we've got three NFC West teams in our revamped top 10, and we're going to get into all of it today on the podcast. And so first, as always, a reminder that our national staff of reporters and editors are the ones who are voting each week, and these rankings are a composite of those votes. So this, even though Lindsay Jones's byline is on the piece, these are not entirely her votes. So direct your angry comments to all of us. Um, you can find the full rankings, 1 through 32, and some pretty good gifts for each team right now on The Athletic. Tell us how you feel about them in the comments. Some of you already have. We'll get to that later. Um, we promise that we read all of them. And you can also tweet at us at The Athletic NFL. So let's get into our bottom five. Top five, bottom five. So number 28, we have the Atlanta Falcons. Number 29, the Cincinnati Bengals. Number 30, the New York Jets. Number 31, the Washington Redskins. And number 32, no surprise, the Miami Dolphins. So the Falcons are making their first appearance in our bottom five so far. Uh, Lindsay, what is so concerning about them to you? I know there are kind of a lot of things going on, but what do you see as the biggest issue? Yeah, I've, I've written a little bit about them. Um, or actually, it feels like a lot about them over the last couple of days. I also wrote our panic index Sunday night, kind of immediately following Sunday's games. And I put Atlanta at the very highest panic level, which basically was advising Falcons fans to go find something else to do next weekend. I actually tweaked the the panic level because it, it initially when Shel, uh, Shil Kapadia first did the index, he said, um, you should go spend your Sunday at Home Depot. But given Arthur Blank, <laughs> the owner of the Falcons, he also is the founder of Home Depot. I figure for a Falcons fan, maybe just avoid Home Depot altogether. Take your kids <laughs> to the pumpkin patch because right now the Falcons are just extremely difficult to watch. And you know, I think the biggest and most concerning thing going on with them right now is their defense. And, you know, they gave up almost 600 yards on Sunday in their loss to Houston to Deshaun Jack to Deshaun Watson, excuse me, Deshaun Jackson. That would be really exciting if he threw for that <laughs> yeah. many yards. But, um, you know, and I it wasn't just the stats that were troubling. Um, it was it was when you watched it, it was actually even worse. Like, you know, you look at the box score and you say, oh, my God, 592 yards or whatever it was. But when you actually go back and you watch the, the coaches tape in the all 22 and you just see how little pass rush they got and the Texans are a team that you can you can rack up some sacks against. They they actually allowed six 
a week ago. And the Falcons, no matter what they did, whether it was, um, you know, a, a consistent four-man rush, a five-man rush, different type of blitzes, there was no consistent pass rush at all. I think they only hit Watson one time. I mean, they were, they were, they were very, um, very ineffective. And, and then it was the quotes that were coming out of the Texans locker room after, um, their, one of their wide receivers, Kiki Cootie, told, um, reporters, including our, I believe it was our Jason Butt, who's the Falcons beat reporter that, uh, that the Falcons were very basic. They were a very basic defense and the Texans knew basically exactly what they were going to run on almost every play. And this is a really, really bad sign for Dan Quinn because, you know, as, as we've talked about um, on our on this podcast before, I think when we did our hot seat rankings a couple weeks ago, you know, Dan Quinn fired his defensive coordinator last season. He took over the he took the defensive responsibilities back himself. He's the one who's calling the defense. He's the one who's doing the you know the hands-on coaching and practice. He's the one doing the game planning. And if the defense is still a disaster right now, that's on him. And when you've made the move to kind of fire your coordinators and change everything up, that's a sign that you know your job is in jeopardy. And I I don't think that the Falcons are impulsive. I don't think Arthur Blank is, you know, it, it kind of has a Dan Snyder in him where he would, you know, pull the trigger really quickly and fire his coach in October. But this is really trending the wrong direction for the Falcons and specifically for Dan Quinn. And, you know, I'm just, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to take to write it, um, to write this ship and if they can get back on track. But right now it's just, it's really bad. And I, I do not blame you if you're a Falcons fan and you want to go find something else to do this weekend. And in fact, I advise it. Yeah, uh, one thing I totally forgot about that Shield Kapadia wrote about in his piece today about his likes and dislikes about the Falcons, they were winning at halftime of that game against the Texans. It was 17-16, to 16, and then they gave up 37 points in the second oh half, God. which uh, is the most by any team in a game in the last four years. So they have huge issues everywhere, um, you know, and, and like you said, obviously defense at the top of the list, they – or they just look really bad right now. And that's really an indictment on Dan Quinn. And we've talked about him in length before and what his legacy might be there in terms of how he's never kind of really been able to get over the hump of the Super Bowl loss and all of that. And right now it's just this team is kind of a disaster. And I think a lot of people, including myself at the beginning of the season, I thought that they would have a chance to maybe turn it around because they have a lot of talent on offense and that, you know, thought that would maybe be enough. But it definitely is not right now. And they look they look really, really bad. So I, I could see them falling even farther down our list if they continue to play this poorly. Yeah. And they, um, you know, they're really one like a Nelson Aguilar drop in that Eagles game yeah. from being winless at this point. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a bad scene right now for the Falcons. And um, I believe they're spending the week in Phoenix this week um, and are going to be playing the Cardinals. So, you know, it could, it could get worse. Um, oh, God. So that said, when we talk about, you know, kind of bad teams playing each other, um, you know, our number 31 and our number 31, two teams right now, Washington and Miami, they play this Sunday in Miami. So there's some potential for some movement there at the bottom um, and full disparity. Full transparency about my ballot for the second week in a row. I put Washington at number 32. My colleagues do not agree with me. They still think that the Dolphins are the worst team. And we actually got into this a bit in a national and national NFL reporter roundtable that is up now on The Athletic about which team we think is really the worst. And, 
you know, I would argue that I think the Dolphins have the worst roster, I, but I, but that's by design. I think that the Redskins are much more of a dumpster fire right now. So it'll be really interesting, I think, to watch that game. It's going to be terrible, but I'm so curious. And I actually pitched to Amy and our editor, Lisa, the other day that I kind of wanted to cover it. I'm not going to, but I will be watching it. I'm not even going to do it on Red Zone. I'm going to actually watch that game just because I'm so curious about what it's going to look like. Uh, yeah, you can text me about that one, Lindsay. I'm going to be at the pumpkin patch not watching that game <laughs> and like, or just like locking myself in a closet. Any of those options seem better. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Redskins right now, to your point about having them last on your ballot, it's I've kept the Dolphins last on mine just because of them being in the state that they're in right now. And I do think that their roster roster is the worst, but like it's definitely been a challenge the last couple of weeks for that number 32 spot I thought I think I did put the put Washington in 32 and then I switched it back and I the Jets were in that conversation as well we talk about you guys talk about that in the round table as well uh the Jets being in contention for being the worst team of that bunch um they're all really really bad and so but but in terms of Sunday's games um Sunday's game It'll be a battle, really. We're going to be watching who gets that win because that team might actually be (laughs) worse off with the win because, obviously, right now it seems like those teams are going to be playing for draft picks at this point. And Bill Callahan will be the head coach in Washington. Jay Gruden was fired at 5 a.m. on Monday morning. Um, And, you know, I don't think that's going to change anything there. I don't think it's going to provide a spark the way that firing Hugh Jackson did in Cleveland last year. That team is in a really, really bad state right now. And as a lot of people have written about, as Lindsay, you mentioned in your blurb uh, in the roundtable about Jay Gruden, that this is just an organizational issue. And I don't think that this can be turned around just by bringing in an interim coach and hoping that, you know, the you know, that, that all of a sudden people are motivated because it's not Jay Gruden anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little, you kind of get a little bump, you know, practice structure changes, you know, there's a, just kind of a different voice in the meeting or meeting rooms. It's not uncommon for a team to kind of play better initially right after a coaching change, but long term, you know, I think this this is still yeah. a big mess and some really significant and substantial questions about who's going to take that job. You know, you're already hearing a lot of names get thrown out there. You know, Eric Bieniemy is, is is a super popular name right now. Mike Tomlin, his name has been thrown out there, although he dismissed that pretty um, pretty handily today during his press conference in Pittsburgh. Um, but I don't know why any of the top candidates in next year's job cycle are going to want this job. You know, yes, they have a first round pick quarterback who's sitting there um, and a couple good defensive pieces, but this should be very, very low on the desirable jobs list. And if you are a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who's been waiting a really long time to get your shot at a head coaching job, uh, don't jump at this one just because it's the first one. Wait to see what else might be out there. And uh, there might be a, a more desirable job like, you know, maybe the Atlanta Falcons that that, that is there ready for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is, I think Michael Lombardi in his piece called DC um, a high paid death trap for coaches. Wow. <laughs> Those were his words. Uh, but yeah, it's not wrong. That, that nobody would really want to go there. And then that Dan Snyder's going to hire somebody. He always hires somebody because he has them, he's going to pay out for somebody. Um, but it's never, Lombardi's argument at least is that it's never going to be the right guy until Snyder steps back um, and stops trying to control everything all the time. 
All right. So now let's get into our top five where there has actually been a little bit of movement this week. So at number five, we've got the San Francisco 49ers. Number four, the Green Bay Packers. Number three, the Kansas City Chiefs. Number two, the New Orleans Saints. And number one, as always, the New England Patriots. So the big change here is that the Chiefs are down a spot. They're out of that number two spot where they've been basically since we started voting for 2019. Um, And the Rams and the Cowboys are out of the top five completely. Amy, I know your top five looked a little different than our composite rankings. Can you take us through your top five and what the biggest differences are here and maybe the one problem that you have um, with our top five right now? Yeah, um, I have a team at the three spot that um, no one else see. There is me and Lisa Wilson, our managing editor, also had this team at number three. So my top five is number five, Packers, number four, Chiefs, number three, 49ers, number two, Saints, and number one, Pats. So it's not entirely different except for number three. I, I really do think the 49ers deserve to be in that three spot right now, whether or not I believe that they will be in that number three spot at the end of the season. I don't know. I don't necessarily think that. I still think that the Chiefs in the long term are better. But right now, I do think the 49ers deserve to be there. You know, they're they're winning against the Browns on Monday night. They dominated defensively. They had two picks. They forced a fumble, four sacks. Nick Bosa looked incredible. You know, they they were able to get their run game going with Matt Breida and take a little bit of that pressure off of Jimmy Garoppolo. They looked really, really good. They dominated the Browns. And while we might look at the Browns now and say, well, like, when they play the Browns, that counts as not really playing anybody. That's really not true based on what we thought about the Browns going into this season and the talent that they still do have there. I this is still an impressive win the way that they were able to completely dominate. And I think that a lot of this comes down to the way that we evaluate these power ranking votes. Right. It's like, do we take current record into should anybody who is undefeated automatically be in that number two or number three spot? I don't necessarily know that we need to if they you know, if they have played poorly, but they still end up undefeated. Maybe not. But the 49ers have played well. They look pretty dominant last night, and I think that the argument against them is probably their schedule and who they've played so far, um, and that we're going to wait till next week to see if they can beat the Rams, and then if they beat the Rams, then they can get into that top spot or one of the top spots. But the Patriots are our number one ranked team, and obviously none of us have thought about moving them out of it, but they haven't really played anybody either. They've played the Bills. They beat the Bills. They barely beat the Bills. And you can argue that the Bills probably should have won that game. Um, Their other opponents have been the Steelers, Dolphins, Jets, and Redskins. And so that's a 1-17 in record of the other teams that the Patriots have played. So, you know, it just all comes into evaluation of what really matters when we're ranking these teams. But if the Patriots' schedule doesn't, you know, doesn't prevent them from being in that top spot, I don't think that the fact that the 49ers have faced not very good teams right now and are still undefeated, I don't think that should prevent them from being in the top three. Yeah, I mean, the the ease of the Patriots schedule year after year after year, because basically nobody in the AFC East ever provides any resistance. I mean, right now, the Bills are one of the best teams in the AFC. Yeah. So that's, it's a little different this year, but this happens year after year after year. And the Patriots ease in getting a first round bye um, and either the yeah. number one or the two seed is such an underrated part of this legacy, probably because they follow it up with Super Bowls and Super Bowl wins a lot. So the path that they took to get there, you kind of forget about it. But 
it's um, it's it's very underrated. Um, but then to to the argument about the Niners and their schedule, um, one, I don't think it's as easy as a lot of people might say it is. Um, they had to play their first two games um, on the road. Uh, in the Eastern time zone, which they've struggled with forever. I mean, it had been a really, really long time until they had won a game since they'd won a game in the Eastern time zone, I think dating back to the Harbaugh era. Um, and they won back to back games weeks one and two and won those convincingly 31 to 17 over the Bucks and 41 to 17 over the Bengals. Um, and yes, the game against the Steelers was close 24 to 20. Um, but their defense played really well in that game. They forced a lot of turnovers and, and, um, uh, they, yeah, the first some turners of that game, they kept the Steelers really from um, scoring when the offense was not helping them out. Um, and then they just really kicked the crap out of the Browns. I mean, that, that game was not competitive from the opening snap. So I had them at number five, not all the way at the, up at number three. Um, I am, but I am a very kind of bullish on them. And I, I think I texted you this, Amy, last night. Um, about how excited I am for the Rams-Niners oh, yeah. game next week. I mean, I am. Yeah, it'll be uh, awesome. It, for, for the reasons that I'm curious about Dolphins-Redskins, I'm you know, even more excited and for the completely opposite reasons about Rams-Niners. I think we're going to learn a lot about both of those teams, um, both of those teams next week. Um, and I think the other team, though, in that in that in our top five that's worthwhile talking about right now is the Chiefs, where I was a little surprised that they they only fell back one spot. I was expecting that maybe just because of how slowed down the offense was really for two weeks in a row, you know, because the offense did have a really hard time against the Lions the week before that. Um, I thought maybe they would tumble a little bit more. And um, I ended up moving them back um, a couple more spots. Um, I believe I moved them from two to four. They ended up there at three. And I guess my just concern right now is how healthy they are. And, you know, it was so terrifying to watch Patrick Mahomes limping around in the second half of that game. They also are probably going to be without Chris Jones. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're star defensive linemen next week. You know, their, their offensive line is really hurt. Eric Fisher has still been out. That looks like they lost another guard this week to an ankle injury. And they've got two games in 10, ga- 10 days. They're playing the Texans this week. And we've seen what the Texans can do if a defense isn't ready. And then they're playing at Denver next Thursday. So two day, two games in 10 days when you're hurting, um, I'm, I'm a little worried just about, you know, kind of health and how they're going to be able to get through that stretch. But if they can win both of those games, I'm going to put them back up at number two. Yeah, I don't think we can overlook that they haven't looked totally themselves the last couple of games that they've played. And, you know, in the game against the Lions, they won, obviously, but Pema Holmes didn't throw a touchdown pass in that game. So teams are starting to figure out ways to at least try to combat the, like, 55-point explosive offense that we've been so used to seeing with them. And so they're going to have to respond and figure out what they could do. And I think that they will. I think Andy Reid is a really good coach. They obviously have a ton of talent there, but... You know, we're going to have to see them kind of I'm I'm curious to see how they respond to like this a little bit of adversity, which they haven't totally been used to in the last year. Yeah. And they should be, I guess, a positive development on the health front is Tyreek Hill is getting a lot closer to returning. He's been out. um, He's starting to do some stuff at practice. He was out running routes and stuff before the game Sunday night, even though he was inactive. And that having him back will certainly um, take the pressure off of Travis Kelsey. And that was clearly the Colts game game plan on Sunday night was um don't let Travis Kelsey beat them. And they were able to throw everything at keeping Kelsey, taking Kelsey out of the game. And that's not possible to do when Tyreek Hill is out there. So that's something to watch moving forward as we're figuring out who is and isn't healthy um, with the Chiefs. So now I think we should need to move on to our new segment that we started last week called We Hear You. We Hear You. 
as we mentioned kind of at the top of the podcast, we do read all of the comments on the power rankings file on The Athletic. Um, We hear your complaints about the rankings. Um, And this week, the biggest issue, it looks like there's two teams um, that seem to be having the most complaints. um, And the biggest issue seems to be the Raiders. We have them at number 18, which is actually up six spots from where they were last week. But it seems the problem that most of you guys have with this right now is that um, they are lower than both Chicago, who is at number 16, and Indianapolis, who's at number 10. And those are the two teams that the Raiders beat on the road. Um, That was, you know, in Indianapolis and then in London during this road trip. So, you know, Amy, you went through all the comments and uh, I would love to hear the best comment about the Raiders. Sure. Yeah. It's from Daniel N, active commenter Daniel N, who is mad at us for a variety of reasons. Um, Another one we'll get to after this. But Daniel N says, how do you have the Bears higher than the Raiders after this week's dismantling and after last week's win against Indy, who just went into KC and beat them to boot? Give me a break. So Daniel's pissed that we did this. Um, I Daniel is will continue to be pissed about the Cowboys as well. But I guess I don't have a totally great answer for you, Daniel. I think that a lot of the way that we rank is kind of ends up being a little bit, you know, I... I don't really know what to make about the to, um, to make of the Bears. Honestly, I had them at seventeen. I think Lindsay. I don't know where you had them. I had them. It at, looks like you had. Oh no, I had them at fourteen. Yes. Yeah, I had them at fourteen. Never mind, not seventeen. Uh, where did you have? Um, them? I had them at nineteen, which is lower. Oh, there we than go. The Daniel Raiders. N is a big Lindsay fan. Daniel, don't come at Lindsay. She she would have ranked them above. I had the Bears. Yeah, I had the Bears at 14. That's probably a little too high. I will say to Daniel's other comment, I think the Raiders are, I think the Colts are better than the Raiders. So I don't have a really a big problem with the Raiders being lower than a, the Colts, even though they beat the Colts. I'm pretty impressed with the way that the Colts have been playing so far this season. I'm comfortable with them being where they are. Um, as for the Bears, I just really don't know what to make of them. Like their defense has looked really good. You think that they can win with it, but then they went and did what they did against against the Raiders in London, and the Raiders completely dominated that game. They completely dominated the Bears' defense, and John Gruden coached a really good game. He did. Yeah. He, 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 you know, didn't make Derek Hart do too much and was able to kind of coach a game plan that really worked for them. And so, you know, it. I don't know if it's going to last. I'm just not – I think I need to see a little bit more from them before I start ranking them much higher Um, I did have them at, yeah, I had Oakland at 17 and Chicago at 14. So I'm part of the problem here, Daniel. I apologize. Um, But I am excited to see more of the Raiders. I just need a little bit more before I start to totally uh, get too high on them. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's right on. That's kind of where I'm at too. I also think the Raiders started lower. You know, they have, they've had more to overcome. I think they're having to come overcome some notions about who we thought they were heading into the season, what we saw earlier in the season, what, you know, because you really have to look at kind of the bottom, their body of work and not just the most immediate game. And, you know, I think while I, I get that some people like Daniel, our commenter, are are very angry about it. I went through and I looked at all of our ballots and the the highest somebody had the Raiders ranked was 15th and the lowest was 19th. All of the votes were in that range. So, you know, we're all kind of in, in agreement about where they belong, you know, and, and I think with Chicago, they were a little bit more all over the board. Um, there was one voter who had them as high as 10th, um, which I think was 
a lot of carryover from the way that they dominated the Vikings in week four. Um, and then somebody, um, actually it was me, <laughs> had them as low as 19, which I think was a little more reaction to what we saw in, uh, in that game um, on Sunday against, um, against the Raiders where, you know, like, like you said, I mean, John Gruden put together a really good game plan and I, we should not forget that they also, the Raiders were playing without their best, their top receivers. Tyrell Williams was out in that game. Um, and they just had a really great game plan for handling Khalil Mack. You know, I, I think it would have been really fun to see a Khalil Mack revenge game, but the Raiders were just so determined to not let that happen. And I don't know if there was a single snap where Khalil Mack did not have at least a double team. There were several snaps where he had triple teams. And they made sure that Khalil Mack was not going to beat them that game. I think it would be an overreaction. Um, and this was written, I believe our, our our Raiders writer, Vic Tafer, wrote this immediately after the game in London that, you know, at least on that day, the Raiders won the trade. I don't think that's the right reaction here. You know, I think that I, I, I still think trading away Khalil Mack was the wrong move long term for your franchise. But, you know, they they made a great game plan to not let Khalil Mack beat them. And he didn't. And it was a great, great, great win for the Raiders. And I'm really interested to see where they're going to go after they get back from their bye week. Um, right now, they're second place in the AFC West which I am surprised about and been surprised and kind of disappointed in how the Chargers have played. But, um, you know, they're a team we're going to keep an eye on. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then the other team that people are still angry about is the same team that where people were pretty pissed about last week. Um, and that's the Cowboys, who are at number 11. So, look, they fell a lot. You know, they, they did go significant. They did drop significantly um, all the way out of the top 10 last week. Um, but I think there's a lot of people that are arguing that after how bad they looked against the Packers, especially in that first half, or I guess in the first three quarters, where they where they fell behind 31 to three, that they should have dropped um, even lower. And indeed, they were the team that we had a lot of disagreements about on our panel. Um, we had, you know, voters had them as uh, as low, I believe, as 17 and as high as eight. So we were kind of all over the board there with the Cowboys. Um, um, I actually had them at 17. That was where uh, where I rated them. And uh, really, I think it's my 17 that kept them out of the top 10. If I would have gone a couple spots higher, I think the averages would have put them maybe at 10 instead of 11. So you can direct your anger at the rest of our panel, including somebody who voted them at eight. They didn't identify themselves. So I'm not going to reveal them here on the podcast, but it was not me. Amy, you had them in the top 10 and number nine. <laughs> I had, yeah, I had them in nine. Daniel N, come at me. You're probably going to be mad because uh, he also says, Daniel N says, Dallas still has not beaten a winning team yet, but will that stop you from putting them in the top 10 after they beat the fourth cupcake on their schedule, referring to they're playing the Jets this week? Of course not. It's a joke that they're number 11. Um, yeah, again, I feel like I don't really... <laughs> I don't know what to say, Daniel. I did have them at nine. Um, I think, again, part of this is just my strategy of doing these rankings is like to try not to get too reactionary about stuff and particular losses. And yeah, look, the Cowboys schedule has been really easy and the teams that they play to have been good. They've really struggled against. So they played the Giants and the Redskins in the first two weeks and then the Dolphins and then um, the Saints and the Packers are the last two losses and you know last week against the saints it was 12 to 10 they were just completely shut down this week they went down i think 31 to 3 and had to climb all the way back um and so yeah i mean they haven't looked great they also have some injuries they're dealing with their line isn't at full strength their offensive line i should say isn't at full strength um 
I just kind of want to wait it out and see how they look. I, I'm hesitant to believe that like the Dak Prescott that we saw and the offense that we saw in the first couple of weeks while being against totally bad defenses, I do think that that version of that offense does exist and, and the way that they were playing, it does exist somewhere. Maybe not to that extent. Maybe they won't be blowing people out the way they did in the first couple of weeks, but I do think they have the ability to bounce back. I'm just kind of going to wait it out and see how they do um, and see it before I kind of drop them much lower. But I think next week, well, obviously next week they play the Jets. So they probably hey, but- will bounce back. But Darnold, Sam Darnold is playing. So we'll see. Yes. Spleen uh, season spleen, is over. Spleen watch. Well, we should still make sure that I hope everything goes okay. I'm like a little bit nervous about the fact that they're playing him with a, an injured spleen. But um, And then the week after they play the Jets, uh, they play the Eagles. So that'll be... Uh, obviously all eyes will be on that game. So yeah, cir- circle that one in like bright red Sharpie. Um, yeah. As, and as then, a game to watch. Yeah. And I think, I think by that point we can kind of have a better feel on maybe how we want to actually evaluate them, but it's just, yeah. yeah, I think, I don't know about you, Lindsay, but I know for me and a lot of these rankings, I'm kind of just staring at the sheet and trying to figure out like where teams go and not totally confident about where I'm putting them. So, you know, I probably could have had the Cowboys a little bit lower, um, but you know, we're, we're going to wait and see how exactly yeah. they end up doing. Well, and this is different than, you know, like a top 25 poll in college football or, or something like that, because, um, well, one, it doesn't impact um, any actual like playoff standings. But the other side of it is that, well, you know, you, our, our commenter, Daniel N., who I hope is listening to the podcast today. <laughs> Dedicated to so you, much, Daniel. <laughs> he's getting so much airtime. Um, he used the word cupcake. And I think that this year is a little different in that I think that the 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 worst teams in the league the the gap between them in the middle of the pack is a little more substantial than it is most years but the thing that's so great about the NFL is it really is built to be a week to week league and um you know that's why you, you, these some of these betting lines that we've seen in recent weeks where it's been you know 21 points or something like that that's why that is so rare and you know it's it's hard to just look at the schedule and say like oh that's a guaranteed win that's a guaranteed win and you know we can say that with the Cowboys this week oh they're playing the Jets and yes the Jets have looked you know very very terrible there was a reason i had them number 32 in my rankings a couple weeks ago but there are very few gimme wins in the NFL, unlike college football, where you can look and say like, oh, you're playing, you know, Southeast Central Missouri State. Like, OK, you, that that would be a cupcake, you know, as, as opposed yeah. to, um, you know, any NFL team um, should not be a complete cupcake. So I think that's what makes this really challenging and the thing and, and you know, and kind of a fun exercise is we're really trying to evaluate week to week, but also taking into account, like I've mentioned, you know, before in this podcast, things like injuries and upcoming schedule and, um, you know, the opponent's strength of schedule. And it just really reinforces that there's like no transitive property in the NFL. Yeah. It's so hard to do the, well, you know, this team, you know, team A beat team B. beat team B who beat team C. So team C has to be worse than team. It just doesn't work like that in the NFL. And if we tried to do that, we would, um, we would make ourselves crazy. So we appreciate you guys commenting where we will take some of these things into account uh, for sure. Although um, I'm not going to let Daniel N affect my rankings uh, too much moving forward, but I love you guys commenting and reading because I know you guys are very passionate about it. And now my big question is, and I'm really hoping Daniel N is listening. I want to know who he likes if he's really angry about the Raiders and really angry about the Cowboys. Um, 
Uh, I want to know who who he cheers for. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's just (laughs) he's just a neutral fan trying like fighting for justice for the underrated teams. Perhaps that's his goal. I don't know. (laughs) Danielle, let us know. Drop us a line. Tell us who you like. Um, Okay, so we're about to move on to power up, power down. Just really quickly, some games this week that could shake up these rankings. We've got Eagles at Vikings, 49ers at Rams, which we talked about already. Lions at Packers. Lions had an off week, um, and obviously the Bears' loss was pretty good for them. Um, so we'll get to see kind of – they've been another really kind of big surprise team, and uh, we'll see if they can sneak into perhaps the top 10 if they win. You know, we might see an appearance there for the first time in the top 10. So um, Yeah, and this is another week where, I mean, I think the, the Lions' defense is really good. I think we were all very impressed with what they did in their loss um, to the Chiefs before their bye week. So I'm very curious to see what they're going to look like against the Packers, whose offense suddenly looks a lot more interesting with the emergence of Aaron Jones in this, um, not just a running game, but using Aaron Jones in the passing game. Um, but I think the game that could most kind of impact my my own rankings and really kind of just change a lot of things next week is that Eagles at Vikings game, where, you know, we saw the Eagles... They were one of our biggest fallers um, a, a couple weeks ago, and now they have kind of really climbed back up almost into the top five. And the Vikings have been all over the place, really up and down um, as we've tried to figure out who they were. And they they looked great last week. Um, Yes, it was against the Giants and the Giants defense has many, many, many issues. But all of a sudden, you know, we've been begging them for weeks to Show us a little bit of a passing game. And boy, did they last week against the Giants. So um, that is the vulnerability on the Eagles defense is their pass defense and their secondary. So I want to see if this is something that Kirk Cousins and now maybe it'll be Stefan Diggs this week. You know, Adam Thielen had his breakout game last week. And, you know, if we can see kind of a balanced offense and, um, you know, back to back weeks with a passing game and more than just Dalvin Cook in that offense, then, you know, the Vikings could get all the way back into the top 10 as well. So that's the game I'm really watching to see, uh, to just try to learn a lot more about both Philadelphia and Minnesota. And we'll be probably adjusting my rankings according, accordingly next week. Yeah, the Vikings in our power rankings poll have been just constantly swinging up and down. They would think they were nine to start and then seven and then 17 and now 13. So They've been all over the place, so it'll definitely indicate um, kind of if they're going to go up or if they're going to fall way back down. Who knows? They're kind of another team that's been pretty tough to get a read on right now. Power up, power down. All right. So let's move into power up, power down. We're going to pick something from the week to talk about um, briefly about something we liked, something we didn't like. Lindsay, what is uh, what are you picking this week? All right, so I'm going to power down to the handshake gate controversy <laughs> oh that's going on after the Monday Night Football. Twitter has been a wild place on Tuesday morning after uh, the Monday Night Football game between the um, the Niners and the Browns, thanks to Richard Sherman, who talked to NFL Network or NFL Media's Michael Silver after the game and said that um, I'm not, I'm just going to read the direct quote from Richard Sermon because um, I think the whole thing needs to be read. And this was the quote that was in Michael Silver's story. And this is Richard Sherman saying, quote, what's amazing and annoying was Baker Mayfield not shaking hands at the beginning. Sherman said, that's some college shit. It's ridiculous. We're all trying to get psyched up, but shaking hands with your opponent, that's NFL etiquette. And when you pull Bush League stuff, that's disrespectful to the game. And believe me, that's going to get us fired up. Well, that quote took off. I mean, it went, you know, it, it, it really went viral, like, I guess, late last night, early this morning. And then only a couple hours later, you know, we're having this like Zapruder-like dissection of the film 
to be revealed that Baker Mayfield did, in fact, shake Richard Sherman's hand before the coin toss. This is when the captains come out. There's you know very clear video of a very brief handshake. There's also video of as soon as the coin toss is over, Baker Mayfield turns around, runs back to the bench where all the rest of the guys shake hands with each other before they go off. So I think there's a, a lot to unpack here and a couple of things. One, this is a, this is a really dumb controversy, I think, that this has become this huge thing. It's a huge thing. This this type of thing happens all the time. It's kind of a dumb controversy. Um, you know, I think there's I think one thing, maybe the NFL media story just needs to have some sort of update of like, after reviewing the film, this is what we saw, because you know, that that happens where somebody will say something, you know, and now you can verify and that happened. But I think the larger issue here is that what really matters here is that the Niners came into this game feeling super disrespected on a lot of different levels. I think they've been watching all of the hype about the Browns all offseason. There was there were like lots of personal feelings from Nick Bosa to Baker Mayfield dating back two years ago to the OSU Oklahoma game when Baker Mayfield planted the flag in the middle of the Buckeye. You know, so he's been thinking about that for a while and that was very personal to him. And I freaking loved his flag waving uh sack celebration. And I guess he actually planted a Niners flag in the field on the field after yeah. the game, which was really like this, you know, a, a really good throwback. I mean, to be thinking about that for two years, uh, you know, encircling this game whenever this game was on the schedule is um, after he was drafted. You know, I think that's really fun. But, you know, when it comes to Richard Sherman, and I think this goes for a lot of, you know, elite athletes and not just in football. Um, this isn't unique to Richard Sherman, but they take any sort of perceived slight and use that as motivation. And I was, you know, I've been thinking about Richard Sherman's entire career. And one of the very first stories that I wrote for USA Today when I first got on the national beat back in 2012 was I took a trip to Seattle. I think it was my very first week actually at USA Today. And it was right when Richard Sherman was starting to break out. And this, he was doing the exact same thing then. And I remember the 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 way that Richard Sherman kind of got onto anybody's radar in the first place was that he played really well in a game against the Patriots. And he had taken some little like snippets out of a Tom Brady press conference. And he thought that Brady was disrespecting the the, the Seahawks defense. And, you know, he used that took this as motivation. Remember, he like yelled at him on the field and then he posted a meme, I think even before memes were really a thing in 2012. I mean, Richard Sherman, trailblazer here. Um, but where you remember he posted the picture and he wrote, you mad, bro. I mean, this is. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. And then the next week um, and then the next week they were playing the Lions and he went, he changed his um, his Twitter handle to. uh um uh, who was it? Optimus Prime. You know, I mean, he he's been doing this kind of stuff. And you know what? If if Richard Sherman felt disrespected by that and he saw some little slight, and he wanted to make it a thing. Well, you know what? Good for him. He got an interception two minutes into the game and uh, the, the Niners just dominated that game. So it's a dumb controversy, but it's also just needs to be a reminder to all of us that these NFL guys are wired differently than the rest of us. And they're going to find whatever motivation that they can. And if it was this little, you know, Baker Mayfield turning his back, I don't think it was a big deal. But Richard Sherman wanted to make it a big deal for himself and his teammates, and it worked. They kicked the crap out of the Browns. Their defense totally dominated, and uh, good for them. And now hopefully we never have to talk about Handshake Gate ever again. Yeah, I'm definitely very over Handshake Gate. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. And I also think that, you know, probably some adding on to, like, some of the fire for the Niners in general and that what you talked about, the feeling overlooked, is like, 
Baker Mayfield was super hyped up this year. He's on commercials. He's on advertisements everywhere, you know, and like he hasn't played very well. And they I think they wanted to go out and, and show him that they could kick their kick his ass. And they did. So, you know, whatever, as you said, whatever works to motivate you, go for it, Richard Sherman. But uh, I think everyone else, we can probably uh, move on from Handshake Gate. Um, okay, so my power up is going to be really brief. Um, it's empowering up Teddy Bridgewater as Saints quarterback uh, because he's just really, you know, last week especially, it's just kind of a, it's a really good feel-good story. Um, obviously, we all remember the really grotesque injury he suffered in 2016. Some people thought he might not ever be able to play again. Um, and he chose to stay with New Orleans this year, knowing he would be the backup instead of going to Miami. It turned out to be a great decision for him. Um, and, you know, he, he threw for four touchdowns uh, in their game last week on Sunday. He did four touchdowns, 26 for 34. And um, the big number there is the 9.24 yards per attempt, which is a lot different from his previous games. Um, they let him throw it a little bit. They let him sling it around a little bit, and he he delivered. Fans were chanting his name. Um, it was just end at the end. He said in his press conference that he was gonna just ride his little cruiser bike home from the Superdome. He rides his bike there and back, and I just thought that was really cute and uh, slightly, as Lindsay said earlier, slightly dangerous. Um, so be careful, Teddy. I hope you wear a helmet. But um, yeah, I'm just really. I just think Teddy Bridgewater's story is good for the NFL. Obviously, like, there's not going to be a quarterback controversy. Drew Brees is going to be back. He posted a, a video um, of him throwing on Sunday or this weekend, and he looks like he's getting ready, gearing up, might be healthy soon. Um, and that'll be exciting for the Saints, and they're going to be happy to have him back. But I think that they're, they're getting, you know, what they needed and what they wanted from Teddy. And Teddy's getting this moment, and it's been really, it's just been really fun to watch. I I really like Teddy Bridgewater, and I'm happy that he's um, that he's succeeding. Yeah, he's one of the. I think it's one of the best stories of this year, and it's hard to like just not root for this guy. I mean, you remember yeah, back exactly. to his that's, that knee injury was so devastating, and he's just so likable. Like you watch all of his like the videos of him last year when he was their backup quarterback, and him leading the kind of the dancing in the locker room. Um, it's just it's so fun and. But God, I I just hope he's wearing his helmet because New Orleans drivers are terrifying. But it's a very like New Orleans is a really special place and they have such a special relationship with their players. You know, I think Alvin Kamara has really um, kind of become like a man of the people in New Orleans and man Bridgewater is kind of reaching that status where he's just beloved there. And um, I hope everybody's looking out for him as uh, as he's riding his bike home uh, from the Superdome. (laughs) Yeah, I just love that visual. It's just like it just makes me really happy to think about. So. Thanks, Teddy. Good week for you. Um, And thanks to all of you for listening to another episode of our Power Rankings podcast. If you have anything that you disagree with or that, you know, you want to talk to us about, just tweet us at The Athletic NFL. Leave us comments on the Power Rankings piece, whatever. We, as we said, we read them all. It builds character to read all the angry things you guys (laughs) say about us or the nice things. Um, so yeah, come back next week. Yeah, we will be back later this week for our bonus episode for athletics, athletic subscribers. And then back here in a week after week six, because we think there's going to be some really exciting and maybe some disastrous games that are really going to shake up our rankings um, next week. So we'll see you guys then. Bye guys. Bye.